The traditional office world is always going to be there. Don't get me wrong. It's going to look different though. It's going to be utilized different. It's going to be structured different. You know, who's going to be the supply partner on that? That's going to be different potentially. How long people are committing to? What is the spaces that you're designing? Everything needs to change. Welcome to Buildings 2.0, where we dive deep into the technology, trends, and visionaries reshaping the very structures we work in. Here is your host, Jose Cruz Jr., CEO of Integrated Projects. Hey, everyone, and thanks for listening to another episode of Buildings 2.0. Today, I'm speaking with Charlie Morse, strategic consultant at Creevolve. Charlie, thanks for chatting with me. Thanks for having me, Jose. Look forward to the chat. So let's get started. Tell me a little bit more about your journey uh, in commercial real estate broadly. What led you to what you're doing now? Sure. It's been an exciting journey. Um, it goes back to the early days of my career. We're in the office tenant rep world. So for those that are not familiar, it was helping tenants find office leases that fit whatever their requirements may be. That was largely structured and built around the Dallas market for me. You know, working the downtown, uptown market, started my career at Colliers International. I was there for the majority of the beginning of my career. I had a brief stint at a company called Cassidy Turley. It's ended up rolling into DTZ slash Cushman or Wakefield eventually. I ended up only there for about 18 months because I left as the private equity company was buying them. Ended up going to Avis and Young to join as a principal in the Dallas office. This is in 2014 to give you a time period where we're at at that point. And candidly, at that juncture of my career, I openly admitted to not only my CEO at the time, but my local managing director, et cetera, that, you know, in all honesty, I was no longer passionate around what I was doing. And I was still passionate about real estate, but I had seen just all these changes underway within the industry as a whole. And I really wanted to figure out how to become part of that disruption versus being disrupted. So some of the things that I was kind of looking at was, you know, this will get into some of the history for me was really paying attention to the growth, the rise of the flexible office economy at the time. This is in the early days of the WeWorks of the world and the instant offices, if people are familiar, the, you know, no-tells of the world and the early days of these. And I was really excited about the opportunity from both the supply and demand perspective and also just the broader prop tech world. And, you know, we can kind of stop there if you want to. That was in my brokerage career, but I ended up going into the startup world with a company called Liquid Space for a period of time. And now refer to that as my Flex MBA because I got to do a little bit of everything there from, you know, engaging with institutional owners about the how and why they need to think about incorporating Flex in their asset management strategies, working as a transaction manager for more complex occupier-led deals where traditional co-working spaces couldn't fit those requirements. And then the third job was kind of engagement and education with the broader brokerage world. So I was kind of helping engage with some of my former counterpoints, as well as, you know, some of the innovative platforms, digital brokerage firms that a lot of people candidly still are not aware or, you know, gaining steam even still today. So ended up leaving there because I was found myself not liking or selling a particular product. And because I was seeing the rise of all these new innovative products, solutions, services, and I wanted to get back to my service roots. So ended up back in a brokerage world at Davidson Young again, interestingly, I came back and kickstarted their flexible solutions practice globally. This is in 2019 now. 
and did that until about a year ago this week, actually, and have been on my own ever since and uh, started Crevolve, where I'm working with kind of owners, occupiers, and prop tech companies, really embracing the evolution that is all the activity going on in the commercial real estate world today. Yeah. Talk to me a little bit more about some of these macro tailwinds. So you've talked about flexible space as a kind of underlying thread in something you've been watching evolve in the industry or, or all of us really. Are there other major tailwinds that you've like in your time at Collier's and, and, and Avison and Cushman and all these places? What do you see that a lot of folks might be missing? I mean, let's be very honest. Part of the reason I lost my interest in the brokerage world is it's a commodity. I know a lot of people in the brokerage world don't choose to admit that. And don't get me wrong, I still have a lot of great relationships. I'm still, you know, involved with a number of different uh, brokerage houses in different capacities. There's still value there. But I personally did not like the fact that I was viewed as a commodity, as if anybody else could do what I was doing. And let's be honest, we're living in a world where data is everywhere, right? A lot of the value add that, you know, brokers try to differentiate themselves on is truly not that valuable. And to make sure that I'm understanding, when you say commodity, you mean just the transactional nature of facilitating? It is not hard to teach somebody how to negotiate, do a lease transaction. There's certain things that everybody knows you should look for. Obviously, it takes time. I'm not saying it happens overnight by any stretch. But once you get it, you get it. And I think a lot of the clients understand where to really hit on some of those points. If there are somebody that does do multiple transactions per year, if there's somebody that only does a transaction every eight, five, seven, 10 years, maybe not. But there's a lot of enterprises that have teams that understands that you know there are key things that are important to them that they need to look for in any one transaction. And it is hard to find somebody that truly can stand out, that can do what is needed way different than the others. One line that was taught to me in my early days of training and brokerage was your unique marginal difference. That's what you had to find to differentiate yourself. I didn't like having to find that unique marginal difference and try to pound home why clients needed to hire me just for that one, one, 2% difference that is makes me different than my competitor. That's where I didn't like it. So what I'm curious in kind of the state of the industry, what are you seeing these large major brokerages are, I assuming they're trying to differentiate themselves from like the technology they use, or obviously that's kind of a loaded term there, but how are these firms thinking about today standing out? I think it is investing in data, investing in technology. A lot of them have made various claims that they are trying to become more technology enabled. But let's also be very honest that the backbone of what are the large brokerage houses is still transactional. They still live, breathe and die based upon what their producers, their commission based brokers are doing on a transactional basis. Yes, a lot of them can differentiate themselves via some of their technology tools, services that they're bringing to the table. But there's an evolution going all day long where there's something in every category. There's always emerging tech, always emerging tools that are coming about that can be utilized for X percent of, you know, the process. And if you get so set in your ways, you're going to miss out and you're maybe not going to catch up. Or you're going to get past in certain scenarios. So it's hard to keep up. Let's be very honest. 
with the rising technology world, rising startup world that can always be evolving and revolutionizing a certain product or a certain solution or a certain process to make it better. And it's hard for everyone to adapt to everything quickly and efficiently. Right, right, right. It almost seems like the adoption of technologies started as kind of like marketing slogans just to kind of check boxes. Uh, always feels like very, like it's almost been appended to, right? But the core value propositions, the core business models have actually changed very little. What has to be true, like the infrastructural level, like what has to change at a core value proposition level, if anything, as kind of a next chapter of big brokerage? I think acknowledgement, the changes here, changes upon us. I think that, again, not everybody is guilty of this, but as a whole, the brokerage world and candidly, even the institutional owner world is very guilty of understanding how things have always been done. And what's the phrase, the most seven dangerous words in business, like, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. At the end of the day, you don't want to get so set in your ways and disregard what is happening out there. And I think what we have seen basically since the pandemic, the demands drivers of today are so different than they have been in the past. I'm not saying that everything is going the way that, you know, I've been focused on. The traditional office world is always going to be there. Don't get me wrong. It's going to look different, though. It's going to be utilized different. It's going to be structured different. You know, Who's going to be the supply partner on that? That's going to be different, potentially. How long people are committing to? What is the spaces that you're designing? Everything needs to change. And candidly, there is no one silver bullet. Everyone is always asking, like, what should I do? It's like, it is impossible for me to say, here is the one strategy to go and deploy. You first have to understand and really digest who you are as a company on the demand side, the occupier side of the business. What is it that you need? What are your key business drivers? What are the different ways that you, your employees more than anything need to be provided in order to be, maximize their productivity? Because it's those employees that run a company. If they walk out the door tomorrow, a lot of these companies are in a load of trouble. So you got to take care of your employees. And, you know, it's focused on people over place, as far as I'm concerned, is one of the key things that I'm really been paying attention to for the past multiple years is forgetting about place for a second. Just find out what your people need, and then you create a portfolio strategy to support those, and then may look a lot different than it has in the past. Uh, so it's not completely centered around centralized office. Yeah. Are there examples of either an organization or maybe a specific project you've worked in the past or even recently where between its position on people and the, and the product, the building itself, that kind of points to like where, where we're heading? Well, I mean, I think part of what we're seeing, there's confusion being out there in the world right now. I just want to make sure to say is who has the largest megaphone? It's the largest companies out there. It's these big tech companies. It's the big financial services firms. They're the ones making these large, big proclamations saying return to office has to happen X numbers of days a week or five days a week if you're not going hybrid. These are the ones that are sitting there saying, and how many times have we seen them revert back? And they've admitted they made mistakes after making these candidly dangerous proclamations about here is the way. There's some that I respect a lot that I feel like have made certain mistakes, but there's plenty that have done great things out there. I think the 
broader technology worlds is going to be the ones that I tend to lean towards. And there's some companies that have done amazing jobs that, again, have maintained certain amounts of centralized office, but are willing to embrace other ways or modalities for working that could be working from home. Again, centralized office, work from home. Those are the two poles that people get hung up on. But there's so many different alternatives in the middle of those two that may satisfy 60, 70 percent of your employee base, because not everybody wants to be in a centralized office all the time or can be in a centralized office all the time. Not everybody wants to work from home all the time because for various reasons, again, everyone is different. So there's companies like ServiceNow is one that I like to always throw out there that I've worked with in different capacities, and I respect a lot of their real estate strategy teams. There's groups at Salesforce that have done amazing jobs. I think there's groups like Allstate has been making from, from corporate America that have done, made amazing strides of proclaiming, hey, we don't have a true headquarters anymore. We are going to be selling off some of our largest owned facilities because we candidly don't know what the future holds. And we're not going to make these, you know, proclamations of drawing a line and saying, here's the way that we're going to operate. People are being flexible. People are learning from some of these mistakes and we're still learning. Everyone is still learning all day, every day. Yeah. If I'm a landlord sitting on a large commercial real estate portfolio, specifically office spaces, I know we're all trying to figure this out, but what are the frameworks that you're thinking through if you're paying a mortgage on a 30 story office building and you're trying to figure out what do I do, right? Do I just continue doing the same thing, just trying to get kind of butts in seats? Do I start thinking about some sort of kind of long-term flexible strategy? Do I reposition this entire building? What are frameworks that you think that are a little bit more nuanced than what you typically are? In short, everything that you just said can, should be considered as we are thinking about this, but where's the elephant in the room right now? It's building valuations and the capital markets are going to be driving all of what I'm saying is going to be some of the hurdles that we're going to still have to overcome. Because again, the capital markets have said, here's how office buildings are valued for generations, right? Until some of that is changed, we're only going to continue to see marginal changes in time until we see something at scale. We're not going to see it, anything change at scale as quickly as I personally think we need to go until some of that can change. But right now, I mean, just basic stats. I was, uh, saw something the other day from Green Street. You know, we've seen we're going to continue to see significant drop in pricing in the years to come. Average price is down 31.2% from the peak in 2021. This is uh, the lowest pricing since 2013 and the lowest level since the trough of 2009. I was in real estate in 2009, 2010. Those were scary times. I think that this time is even different, though, because candidly, we're not just going through this recession that we did in 2009, 2010. We are completely going through a revolution of how people are utilizing office space, what people want and need. So people don't know necessarily what they have even. So you've got to really have a come to Jesus with yourself. If you're an owner, the answer is not to assume things are going to go back to normal. With very few exceptions, if you own, if you just developed an absolute trophy asset in a major market, potentially you can go and lease that up via traditional leasing models. If you own a normal ABC class building, you've got to think about what that building is going to be viewed as 
as a product, as a brand by the end user, because that's one thing that we're seeing real estate's finally coming to where the rest of the world is. Everything else we do is experiential. It's we touch and feel it digitally. Real estate has never been that. Real estate has always been something that maybe the C-suite to the HR representatives, to various people in finance, et cetera, they touch every five, seven, 10 years. And we're at a point now that individuals can be able to say, hey, I seen this space that's opened up three blocks from my house. I want to go work from there. How do I make that happen, Mr. Manager, Mrs. Bossman, whatever the case may be? We've got to think about it differently. And what is the user base that is going to want our building? What are the amenities? What are the benefits that that user base wants and needs to facilitate that? And it's not just delivering these checkbox amenities. It is really rethinking everything about what is needed and sticking to your guns about what that is as well. Partnering with the right people. And that's where co-working and the flexible office economy has really begun to take shape. It's still not as big as most people think. And despite the troubles that people are reading about WeWork, they do not define the flexible office world. Um, yes, they're entering bankruptcy, or they're not entering, they're in the middle of bankruptcy as we speak. And it's yet to be determined exactly how that is going to flush out. But they help define what the flexible office world is today, but they don't define what the future holds because there's a lot of operators, by way of example, that are crushing it right now that continue to expand, that have wait lists for their respective spaces. And these are the type of potential partnerships that owners should look at. But I'm not also a believer that co-working needs to be in every single building. But I think you need to think about flexible office as part of your asset management strategy. And that may just be thinking about how you can deliver spaces, even if they're not co-working, even if they're your traditional spec suite type build outs, how do you deliver that in more frictionless and shorter term length type experiences so you can, you know, get people into your building quicker, more efficiently without the, you know, drawn out processes that candidly take years. I've lived that in my past days where I was working on transactions for, I think the longest was four or five years before actually getting to move in for my client from start of, I mean, and that's just crazy to me that things still take that long to get deals done. And even a, you know, run of the mill transaction takes six months to a year. I want to double click on a comment you made about, you know, it's not just kind of a run of the mill recession we're facing, but quite literally like a paradigm shift. And I remember back in my architecture school, you know, history 101 days where we would talk about, you know, the impact that the car had in American cities. And we went from classical cities where things were relatively close nearby to our ability to now spread out just because of the car allowed us to, you know, kind of modernist urban planning allowed us to like have entire sections of like housing and industrial and then commercial centers and financial centers and, and whatnot. And I think we're seeing a reversion back to, you know, if you consider the macro trends that we're seeing of like walkable cities, folks wanting just to have proximity, folks wanting to have flexibility as opposed to like long-term commitments, you know, that laptop has allowed most industries work from wherever they want. And when you consider all of these macro trends, mine included, like when I started uh, integrated projects, like we started as a remote company, mostly because I actually kind of had to out of necessity. But the thought of actually getting an, an office space is, is a decision that I would have to, like, I would not take lightly simply because it's not even in our culture. 
meaning that there's an entire generation of startups that have like literally never had the office culture. That's not obviously my previous jobs very much did, but I imagine that there's going to be an entire generation of new companies out there that actually it's quite foreign to be, you know, going, leaving from a residential area to a commercial area, going to an office space, going back home, this kind of thought of commute is going to be born to a lot of folks. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I mean, we're in a war for talent, right? And your talent, we've been in a globalized world for 20 something years at this point, right? As soon with the entry of the internet and as technologies continue to evolve, all we really need is this and our laptop. That is all we really need to be able to get done most jobs, especially any knowledge uh, work jobs. This obviously doesn't discount like any frontline workers or whatever the case may be that have to be on site. Right. But for the knowledge workforce, you want to hire the best talent, whether that is two blocks down the road, two miles down the road, 20 miles, around, 200 miles, halfway around the world. It doesn't matter. I know you at Integrated Projects, you have people in various parts of the globe, right? How many organizations, whether you're big or small, all those enterprises that are all demanding return to the centralized office, how many of those teams are actually together with their formal team that they work with day in and day out, physically, all day, every day? The answer is very few. They've got team members that are in different markets, different cities, different countries, right? That they collaborate with on the regular. There are now tools, resources available to us to streamline some of that, whether it's your communication tools, your Slacks, your Teams, whatever it is that you may use. There are tools out there that can be able to go facilitate the ability to bring people together asynchronously. So why are we so like continuing to focus on the centralized office? And part of that, candidly, is the investments that had been made in that. But I'm a true believer that as some of these leases roll that people have committed to where they're trying to make sense of that investment they made into these offices, as those roll, they're not going to be renewing those for the same amounts of space anyway as they have in the past. They're going to be rethinking that. And yes, they'll still have X amount of that as centralized office where they give the ability to bring people together in a space that is defined by your culture, your experience that you're trying to deliver. But you also need to just deploy choice. And that workplace choice is, to me, going to be one of the biggest recruitment and retention tools of the future. Hmm. I want to dive into something you mentioned earlier, which and specifically the mechanics, the things that need to be true in order for the commercial space to evolve. You mentioned that banks still underwrite buildings with pretty traditional paradigms, frameworks, et cetera. Oh, what needs to change? My assumption is that as we move towards a short-term, more flexible uh, leases versus long-term leases, this is a big component of uh, valuations of buildings. What should banks and lenders be thinking about uh, of just things that will, where we're naturally going towards, right? Uh, I assume lease terms is probably one of them. I think lease terms is one of the biggest drivers to that because at the end of the day, if you don't have a lease term that is at least five years in an asset, it is only provided so much value to said asset. So anything that is less than five years is maybe given some level of value for cash flow, but that's about it. But in terms of valuation, it's five years or more 
is where the office world is, you know, given the true valuation. But my argument to any banks, any lenders out there is, do you underwrite hospitality? Do you underwrite multifamily, self-storage? All of these are categories that are underwritten and value with nightly, monthly, yearly occupancy standards in place. If we can do that for those industries, please tell me why we can't do that for office as well. And yes, you can still have some of the same standards, but you don't have to have the entire 100% stack of a building be valued under that. Have, you know, 20% of it valued differently. Don't discount it just because it is a, you know, office space that some people want to come in and book for six months at a time or one year at a time. Because at the end of the day, those can be incubators for these, you know, long-term deals. Because let's be honest, how many people know what they are going to be when they grow up? Integrated projects, do you know what you're going to be when you grow up in any one city? The answer is no. Jose, you're based in New York. You've got, I know, team members in New York, but you don't know if you're going to continue to build out your New York team. You're going to hire the best talent wherever it is, right? So why would you go commit to some big long-term lease in New York City whenever you don't know what you're going to be? That's fine once you do know what it is. But until then, you are maybe perfectly comfortable with your people working from home, and that is fine. But you can also give the ability for your people to go book a co-working space if that is something that is going to make them more effective in their work. If they've got kids, if they've got, you know, family obligations, if they've got an apartment that they candidly are going to be driven nuts being in a, you know, 500 square foot apartment that some people are. We're social beasts. Some people need that, right? So you've just got to think differently around that and the lender community really needs to realize as we're going through these changes, as these buildings are handing back keys to their lenders, before we just wash, rinse, repeat this cycle again, what's changed? How can we think about underwriting in this next cycle as more and more keys are handed back? And it's just, we're going to continue to see blood in the street. And candidly, it's a rough time to be in the capital markets. I'm not hearing any, you know, good news coming in that world right now, even though I'm not focused on that on the daily, but everything I read, it's still scary out there. And anyone that is looking to go buy one of these potential value add opportunities, go into it with a new mindset. Don't just buy it because it is pennies on the dollar from what you think it is worth in the past and go, you know, fall into legacy lease up cycles. Think about how you can deliver something different, how you can deliver something that will, you know, represent the demand for the future. That's what owners need to be looking at. Yeah. Talk to me about your heroes. So in your career, you've had a chance to sit in different sides of the table with owners, occupiers, different companies. Are there individuals that stand out to you as like, you know, here's one person kind of leading the charge. And I'm curious if well, what sort of source of inspiration maybe came from them. I definitely appreciate certain people going out and doing something way different, even though that's out there. Like I'll mention a couple of them right now. Bill Bennett, it's called Expansive, is the name of uh, his company. It's a co-working group at the end of the day, but they have bought and own the assets that they've been you know, operating in for a decade now or so. They're in 40-something locations around the U.S. at this point. That took a lot of gumption 
Bill Bennett's one of the smartest people in the industry, as far as I'm concerned, both traditional and uh, commercial real estate side of the business, plus the flexible industry. That takes a lot of insight. And there's now owners out there that are trying to replicate that. So got to give him credit where credit's due. I also just appreciate people that are, there's a multitude of different, you know, technology founders that I'm very much proud and appreciative of knowing them. Candidly, Jose, I'm not trying to say this just because I'm on it. I've loved what you're doing for years now since we met. Bringing buildings online, this digital world, you're just one component of what is needed out there. And this, you know, process that, you know, working with the architects, design firms, the engineering teams, making sure everyone has accurate data, that is critical. And all that funnels back to the ownership world. There's other platforms out there that are helping create this technology backbone for the industry that I see happening in the future that I believe is going to be critical and paramount. But we just need to open our eyes to what else is out there at the end of the day and acknowledge that the legacy service providers, while still, again, having great value, they are not foolproof, right? We have to look beyond what we know and realize that, you know, evolution is here. I mean, I thought long and hard about the name of my company, CRE, commercial real estate as a whole. That's the short end of it. That's what I'm focused on. That's what I'm passionate around. And evolution, disruption, change. So Creevolve is like, was a no brainer for me once I saw that it was available as a company because we as an industry as a whole need to continue to evolve. We need to continue to have our eyes and ears open to change what's upon us in order to really deliver something that is different and needed for the future. Got to look beyond the past. Um, you know, I'm often asked, you know, five years from now, 10 years from now, what are the spaces in which we work going to look like? I, I do think that's a silly question because a lot of us wouldn't know, but talk to me about what's your conviction in what is likely not going to change in five or 10 years? What are some of the timeless things as humans right? That we're not going to want to let go in five or 10 years. Relationships. That's one thing that I've come to grips with that it is hard to break up a past relationship. We're human beings again. I think that's healthy, right? We want to engage and interact with people we know trust. But at the same point, we've got to keep an open mind to new relationships, right? Making sure that people understand that there is something else out there. I think that despite what some of the quote disruptors are trying to say, we're not going to get rid of, you know, the brokerage industry by any stretch. I think the brokerage industry is going to change dramatically. It needs to change dramatically. I personally believe that it needs to go away from a commission-based entity to more of a consultative-based service offering because there's just too many different things that can you transactions. If you allow the commission to be based on the value of a deal done, right? And you can manipulate data in whatever way you want. But I think that's something that candidly needs to change. Then I think at the end of the day, the you know ownership worlds, the occupier world as a whole needs to really just think about the legacy service providers, the relationships they have, are they open to change? Are they willing to listen to alternative views? Are they willing to think about how to deliver something different? But, you know, 
at the end of the day, if, as you ask that question, relationships is the one thing that is not going to change anytime soon. And should it? No. But I think that is uh, something that has been the cornerstone of the industry for a long time. And I don't see that changing. Charlie, I, I absolutely love chatting with you. I think everything you've touched on is in terms of what needs to evolve in product that we build, the process by which we transact that, uh, the people involved. I'm personally excited to see you know how you evolve uh, Creevolve and how you can you know leading leading in this industry. Um, it's all the time we're gonna have for today, but we definitely have to do a part two uh, before we wrap. If people want to follow along with your work, where's the best place for them to connect with you? I'd probably say LinkedIn's the best way to um, reach out to me. Charlie Morris, Creevolve, C-R-E-V-O-L-V-E. And obviously, Charlie at Creevolve.com if you want to send me an email. But um, LinkedIn, I'm on there all the time. Definitely looking to uh, make a little bit more of a splash this coming year in terms of content and putting more of a voice out there um, as part of this change that um, I see and wants to happen more in the industry. So Always an open ear. Would love to engage with anybody, everybody that wants to think about something different. So, and Jose, I just want to thank you and uh, for allowing me the opportunity to be on with you today. Amazing. Of course, it's been a really fun conversation. So uh, looking forward to part two and uh, thanks for joining. Appreciate it. Thanks so much. Thanks.